Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Orion's Belt, a games industry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lance Tallman. And I'm one of your hosts, Connor Ball. And today we're going to be talking about the death of RTS games. Yeah, so RTS games, I know it's a very dramatic title, right? The death of RTS games, kind of clickbaity. But I was I was hoping we could talk about this because it's a, a genre and specifically a, a less, a genre that's not really in vogue that we we love and wanted to kind of brush on and talk about. Oh yeah, RTS games um, has always been something I've loved to play, but as of late, they just haven't been nearly as popular as they used to be, but they used to be very popular, so it's interesting maybe why, you know, they went out of style, like, what happened to them? Yeah, definitely, and I think we're going we're gonna to try to break that down and maybe have some predictions, give some insights as to why RTS games are not as prevalent, maybe, as they used to be. So RTS stands for real-time strategy. We'll get into everything that that name entails and everything that goes with it. Um, but first, let me give you an overview. Uh, one nice thing about this episode is it's not four pages of outline. Woohoo! <laughs> so it's not going to be super long, hopefully, um, but we'll see how it goes. Okay, so for the overview, first we're going to be talking about what is an RTS, what typifies an RTS, separates it from other genres, etc. Um, give you a, a little bit of a breakdown of games that can be akin to, etc., and stuff like that. Okay, then we're going to give a brief history of real-time strategies. As Connor just mentioned, real-time strategies were really popular, especially in the 90s and early 2000s. And so we're going to be talking about some of the greats in the real-time strategy genre and breaking that down. Then we're going to talk about why did RTS games go out of vogue? Why aren't they in style anymore? What's, what's kind of going on? Give our insights about that. Then we're going to talk about genre-adjacent games, uh, and that's pretty much in the same vein. So giving examples of games that are really similar to RTSs, but aren't necessarily the the true genre, how they've how the genre's kind of adapted in many ways. And then we're going to talk about the future of RTS games and what we think will happen to the genre. Should be yeah. exciting. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Um, so I'll just get right into it. Maybe just do a brief rundown of what <clears throat> a real-time strategy is. So real-time strategy is characterized by base building, in-game technological development, and indirect control of units. So it's live. That's what is indicated from the real-time part of the title, which means there's no turns. That means if I'm taking actions, you can also be taking actions at the same time. A lot of games are like this, um, but just kind of the style of the game would make it seem maybe it is more like a board game or something of that style, but you're taking turns, you're doing stuff at the same time. the second thing is that you're usually building structures and placing them and kind of building a base in most RTS games. And so I guess a good way to think about it is maybe think of it as you're like a general or someone that's like overviewing the battlefield and kind of strategizing rather than being an actual soldier on the ground. Um, totally. And that individual part of it. So that means that there's a big map. You have to place your base in areas you have to try and gain control of the map and you try to have to destroy the opponent's base um, and you control groups of units so your these buildings usually help you get units train units however it is um and then these units help you you know deal damage to their structures and to their units uh with that that means there's resources in the game so you're gonna have to place your base somewhere where there's resources they're usually finite so as the game goes on you might have to build more bases elsewhere um, and another big part of it is there's progression. And so every game, we'll talk about the different games, different RTS, and they do these 
they do these pretty differently, but basically there is some sort of progression within the game that means as time goes on, if you're smart with your resource management, um, you're able to advance your technology um, and able to get stronger, more powerful units. And if you're able to kind of get the upper hand, that's going to let you come out on top. Um, so that can be maybe upgrading units, upgrading structures, getting new units, um, anything like that. And so that's basically it. Um, they can be multiplayer. So sometimes there's teams, sometimes it's just one versus one. Um, but I'd say that's the general gist of RTSs. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty comprehensive. Um, and so when thinking about an RTS game, a lot of questions come to mind when you compare them with other games. But I, I think RTSs are specifically in, like they pretty are well solidified in their own genre and how they are distinct from other games, right? Like a first person shooter and an RTS game are totally different. Oh yeah. I think where a lot of confusion starts to come up and we'll touch on this later is in the difference between like an RTS from like your typical strategy game. Um, and there's a lot of confusion about the intricacies of what makes an RTS, excuse me, uh, different from regular other strategy games. And we're going to get into that. And I also think maybe it's one of the reasons why the genre, uh, has died, quote unquote. Okay, so now we are talking about a brief history of real-time strategies. This should be pretty quick. So I'm gonna list off a bunch of examples, and these are not in chronological order um, per se. They're kind of grouped vaguely, uh, like past games and more present games, um, but we'll talk all about that. Okay, so the first is the Warcraft series. This is a series of like Age of Empires-esque base building games that were created by Blizzard before World of Warcraft came out. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but World of Warcraft was um, prefaced by a few Warcraft 1, 2, and 3, which were RTS-type games, um, which is pretty cool and something that uh, you don't actually hear about that much. Uh, Warcraft was remastered, I think, two years ago, so you can play um, one of the Warcrafts. Was it's it? Warcraft, Maybe it's Warcraft 3, 3. Yeah, yeah. On, the Blizzard, on the Blizzard app you can play. Gotcha, Warcraft so you 3. can play that one now. Mm -hmm. Um but very different, obviously, from World of Warcraft, if you ever played that. Uh, only kind of sharing characteristics in terms of the universe that they take place in, and not at all in the gameplay. Uh, then we have Command & Conquer. God, Command & Conquer games as a kid, I played a ton of. Did you ever play Command & Conquer? I didn't. I actually didn't play a ton. I was usually more on the Age of Empires side, was my biggest one, but... I've heard gotcha. lots of stuff, lots of stuff. So Command & Conquer is your typical military, like... I don't know. Uh, there's political global discourse in the world. So X faction is going to go stop the bad guys, right? They had one of my favorite things is in a lot of the titles, they had FMV sequences, FMV being full motion video. So like actual actors with like hilarious filters over them, like yelling at the screen or stuff like that. Um, and those were like in the interim of the campaign before you got to uh the actual game, which were these, you know, um, big army building games where you're trying to take out your opponents. And we'll talk about the campaign aspect uh, of RTSs a little bit later, but it is important. And I think Command and Conquer especially um, was very pivotal in shaping how campaigns of RTS games kind of uh, developed and evolved as time went on. Okay, so after Command and Conquer, we have StarCraft. Uh, like I said, these are in no particular order. I'm just kind of naming stuff. So StarCraft 1 and 2, StarCraft 2 being probably the biggest RTS of all time. I would say, yeah, it probably is. Right? And so StarCraft II is uh, just a monumental game. It is a science fiction take on a real-time strategy where you can play as one of three factions, uh, either the Protoss, Zerg, 
or Terran and um, build units, harvest minerals to destroy your opponent's bases. And one thing that especially typifies StarCraft is its complexity. And I think nobody will argue that StarCraft is an easy game. <laughs> I think StarCraft is really difficult. Connor, you, you, sorry, you didn't play Command and Conquer, but you definitely played StarCraft Yes, too. definitely played StarCraft 2. Played a lot of StarCraft 2. Um, and when I did finally say, you know what, let's try and do a multiplayer game, play against some real people. It's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Definitely. And so as most games these days have, StarCraft 2 had a co-op versus AI, um, or like you could play AI matchups and stuff to kind of fulfill your live action niche. Um, but when you actually got to the real people playing RTS games, it was really terrifying. It was oh, yeah. so hard. Um, and as opposed to a lot of games, in RTS games, and I know, I think we touched on this later in our outline, uh, you wanted to talk about how like steamroll potential is really... If it's so much more of a feel bad, right? Oh yeah, it is. It is. We'll get. We'll definitely get into all of our totally. opinions about why we think the game isn't as successful as it used to be <laughs> for the majority of people. But suffice to say, StarCraft uh, was another big one. And to to continue on, we have Company of Heroes. This is probably my favorite RTS game. I'm a total Company of Heroes, or at least I was a total Company of Heroes fan. Um, so Company of Heroes one and Company of Heroes two. I think two came out. 2011 don't quote me on that at all um maybe 2013 but uh that this is literally like you play as uh it's world war ii and so you play as either the um one of five factions i think so it's like the russians u.s whatever it doesn't matter um but basically it does like a military or a historical adaptation of the rts genre where you can build um a bunch of different buildings and stuff. Uh, the important distinction here, Company of Heroes doesn't have specific units. It does, like, tanks or, like, one unit. But usually it was one of the first games, um, or at least it really capitalized on this new trend of RTSs to do squad-based um, units. So in StarCraft, as Connor can attest, each unit is, like, one unit, right? Like a... Yeah, so <clears throat> let's say you wanted to train, like, a Marine, just, like, a basic foot soldier, Um then you just get one, and then you can, or you can make has. So you have two or three, and then you can group them around and move them around the map. But in Company of Heroes, if you make one foot soldier, it's like actually a group of it's five. It's a squad. Guys. It's like a rifleman squad. Yeah. yeah. And that was really important because something it did was lower, or at least begin to lower the barrier of entry to the RTS genre because you have less people to micromanage. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to manage five squads of five people. Than 25 individual units. Oh, yeah. As I'm sure you can attest. StarCraft, guys. It's such... Oh, my God. It's so hard. Um, but an amazing game nonetheless. Okay. Now we're getting to more... Oh, I guess suffice to say, as we moved on from, like, the original Warcraft stuff like this, real-time strategies um, differed from, like, Age of Empires 1 and 2, which were all 2D or, like, isometric. And they started to become 3D. And that complicated a few things in the genre. And I would argue made it a little bit harder to parse, made it more difficult to play mm -hmm. i would say mm -hmm. um and so a lot of these games that we've talked about nearly all of them actually are 3d and so getting to more modern takes we have gray goo this came out in like 2016 or something it was a i know i know when it came back people are like it's time the revival of the rts genre mm -hmm. with greg as far as i know it did not perform super did not well. Do well no um and it wasn't, the game I think was fine. I had a friend who picked it up. I never did myself. Um, and he really enjoyed it. But I, the audience just was not there. It, there. There was no like support for for the game. For another RTS. Yeah, I don't necessarily think the game was bad. I think it was a fine take, but 
there just wasn't enough people supporting it. I just don't think it was as innovative, maybe, as it needed to be to really kind of push the boundaries. Push the boundaries and get, <laughs> get people, people back attracted into it. again. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, then wrapping up, Planetary Annihilation. This was one that came out in like 2014, I think, or at oh. least that's when we played it. This was Connor and I's RTS baby. This game broke my heart. I had high <laughs> hopes, high hopes. So talking about innovative, P, uh, Planetary Annihilation, which would go on to become uh, PA Titans, mm-hmm. uh, was very innovative. Basically, you could like, the whole game took place on a scale of like a galaxy rather than like a map or one world or something. So basically, you start on like your own mini world and then you could like fly to other places, crash planets into your opponent's bases, like crazy scale. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were able to, there's literally would be multiple planets within one game and you either start on the same planet or you could start on different planets and you'd have to, you know, get your technology to a point where you could fly to other planets and do all these crazy stuff, build all these crazy buildings. It was... I remember watching the um, Kickstarter trailer, yep. and I was like, oh, my God. We both backed it, I think. Oh, I think so, yeah. So pretty pretty crazy game. I think there, and it fell short because a lot of – they were maybe a little overly ambitious. And mm-hmm. although they did get most of the features they promised released, it took years. Like, I think we must have backed that when we were, like, in eighth grade or something. And then we were, like, sophomores in high school by the time that uh, – would inevitably come out and like be released or something like that. Like it took them a long time uh, to get that thing off the ground. So, okay. Next up we have um, steel division. I'm not even going to mention this game. It's just a modern take. Uh, This one differentiated from RTSs because it became more like unit management there. You didn't really build any bases. You just had units you deployed and um, you sent them at enemies. There was definitely a degree of complexity, but I didn't play the game a ton. So I don't want to, speak to it uh and then iron harvest which is a super modern example this game is either still in beta or just released uh mm-hmm. last year um or just released this year i'm not sure whatever it's on early access on steam you can look it up and this was in the set in the same universe as scythe which is a super popular board game we actually have this board game right next to us that's funny um connor do you want to talk about iron harvest Oh, briefly yeah uh iron harvest it's very similar to company of heroes i remember when i first played it i was like oh this is almost feels the same um and it was in the beta at the time and so there's definitely a lot of things that I, we already noticed that was like okay this is gonna need some work um, <laughs> definitely it was cool because we've played the board game scythe um i'm sure we'll talk about it eventually it's a very very good board game uh and the units in this the video game take on it iron harvest um, were kind of reflections of the mechs that you would get in the game. So it was really cool to kind of build these really interesting-looking uh, mechs. Um, but other than that, I mean, they're just kind of fancy tanks at the end of the day. At least this is what I felt about <laughs> right. the game. So I thought we'll have to see how how it develops. But it was a, an interesting take and, and, and something maybe to look out for. But... Yeah, I'm hoping they'll they'll innovate on it a little bit. But I, I think you're right. I think the gameplay we just did not enjoy. Like, mm-hmm. the aesthetic was beautiful, but there were a lot of problems. There's a lot of kinks they still needed to sort out with the gameplay, for sure. Definitely. Okay, and that's that's our brief history, just giving you a little bit of a timeline. So now you're in 2021. Um, great. So, uh, Connor, do you want to introduce the next topic? Yeah, so next, let's get into the real, the real meat uh, <laughs> of this one, is why... Did the RTS genre, you know, quote unquote, die? Uh, why did it go out of style? 
um, why is it not as popular anymore? So we have a bunch of bullet points here, and we'll just kind of leapfrog back and forth, Connor. Yeah. Um, so the first one uh, that I, I think you wrote down is stress due to simultaneity. And so all that means is because it's a live game as opposed to like a turn-based game, which we'll talk about, I think, in the next topic, genre-adjacent games, um, the game is really stressful. When you're fighting against an opponent in StarCraft and they're like building all these units or like coming at you with like a Zerg rush, it's so stressful to be like, oh man, what's the other person doing? How do I, how do I outplay them? And I think that coupled with the fact that you have to be making these decisions really quickly, like games of StarCraft don't last that long. No, like, they don't. Especially in comparison to like Civ, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I do want, I also do, I do want to preface that obviously all games, all genres of games have their their own stresses and their own tactics. And a lot of people don't like certain games or other people do. Um, and obviously there's still people who play RTSs. I personally still love RTSs. When I hear about new ones coming out, I'm always very excited to play them. Totally. But I guess this is why we think at least they weren't as popular as they used to be because it's just harder for these games to appeal to a majority of people. Um, and kind of what Lance was just saying is that I think it's just very high stress. Obviously, all sorts of games are going to have their own stresses and not bad stress, but just, you know, getting you on your feet, keeping you on your toes. <laughs> Definitely. But with a real-time strategy, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a ton. It's a ton. Because you're just managing a lot more than you would normally in other games. And so, for example take a first person shooter instead of more managing it's more just kind of very mechanically intense right you're trying to outgun your opponents and just shoot better but that's that's it it's very you know streamlined gameplay um with an rts there's a ton of stuff you have to consider uh and that's kind of like the stress due to simultaneity that we were talking about you have to make sure that you're building certain buildings you have to make sure that you're upgrading and advancing to keep up with your opponent you have to make sure that you're building enough units you have to make sure that you're scouting the map and try and find out what your opponent is doing and you have to control all of these different things so for example let's say you want to build buildings with a worker then you have to you have to schedule that you have to select the worker build the building but at the same time maybe you want to be scouting the enemy that means okay you also have to be sending a unit across the map controlling where they go and paying attention to what they're seeing um and that just goes with everything. So there's just a lot more that you're doing at one given time in comparison to other games. And that's why I think we think it's just there's a lot of stress involved. Definitely. And I know people are going to jump at me and be like, wait, but a strategy game and an FPS attract different people. Like they're fundamentally different genres. And I completely agree. But even in comparison to something from the same genre, like a grand strategy, which we'll talk about in the next section... RTSs, because of their inherent nature, it's the, it's like the short time frame and like the live action, um, I guess, take when you're playing a game like Europa Universalis, which is a massive countrywide management system. You could argue, oh, that's way more to manage than an RTS. And I would completely agree. However, in an RTS, the expectation is not that you'll be taking over a country, signing a diplomatic message whatever you're not the expectation is that you're being able to 
protect an economy and just deal with your opponent at the exact same time. So I, I think they're fundamentally different to speak to to your point, Connor. And I I think there's some definite stress when it comes to doing everything. Oh, yeah. um, that was a little bit of a tangent, but for micro and macro management, which is what you were getting at, that's one of the things that I think is really, really specific to RTSs um, or strategy games in general. And so macro management being the the managing of like big scale things, looking at, oh, what do I think my opponent's doing right now? Or um, where on the map do I think I need to be looking forward so I can deal with them versus micromanagement being like, oh, I have a Marine right here. I need to move this Marine to this storage facility so I can um, protect it or something like that. Uh, And to Connor's point, it's not that you have all these things you need to do, so you'll do them in sequential order. Why RTSs are so hard is because not even at a high level, but like like a mediocre level, you'd be doing all this at the exact same time. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. And it's something that if you don't incorporate this management, um, you can very easily see how it's going to completely affect your gameplay and that you're just going to lose. Um, and I, I'll bring this up. So we talk about League of Legends a lot. Um, it's a game that we play a lot. It's a, a MOBA. Um, but I just want to go briefly over how in that game, just like every other game, so there are macro and micro goals that you're trying to totally. look at, right? Like the macros that can be, okay, what's the big picture of the game? You know, what's what do I need to do to win this game eventually? And the micro is, okay, right now, like in the next minute, or while I'm fighting this person, what do I need to do to come out on top? And with a game like League of Legends, it's, if your macro, if it's not nearly as refined as it needs to be, that's okay. For the most part, you're still going to be able to kind of succeed and possibly win the game. Um, with an RTS, you have to keep this in mind because if you don't, you will get behind and it'll be very, very hard to catch back up. Um, and the same goes for the micro. If you're not on top of your micro, if you're not on top of the individual battle that you're currently in, then they'll get a crazy advantage and then that could just be it. Um, so you kind of have to look at these things well to perform well in an RTS. Definitely. I think something that's worth bringing up is in the esports scene for uh, real-time strategies. One of the, the key indicators of performance is APM or actions per minute. And it's literally like, okay, I can do so many hundred of actions per minute like to win this game, which is crazy to think. Like like I said, Connor and I are both huge fans of RTSs, but we're definitely casual players. Casual players, yeah. Um, and we'll talk about games that cater to that in a minute. But for games like StarCraft II, when you get to a pro scene, I think this point is really well illustrated because you can see they are doing so many things. There are so many hotkeys they're using to leverage these actions per minute to get their APM up. And so they can literally do more than their opponent when we when there's like the fad of talking about multitasking in like today's media and how oh kids are like better at multitasking or like the whole population is moving towards a more multitask driven uh mindset i think rts games are kind of a cool lens into that because you can see like to perform well you have to be the best multitasker you have to do everything at once quote unquote or almost at once right and so I think that's just an interesting parallel to bring up. And I think that you can kind of talk, think about it like maybe if you've played board games or other strategy games, you have actions. And a really big thing about any strategy games is like the action economy, right? How are you getting more actions? How are you doing more with your actions? But in RTS, it's very mechanical. And it's like, well, just how fast can you do it? 
can you just go here and do this, go here and do that, and do it like you know very very quickly? Because that's going to be saying, okay, you're doing more things, and that can be pretty difficult to do. Whereas if you're doing like a turn-based game, it's more of you have to think out what you're doing rather than you just have to be doing everything as fast as you can. Totally. So moving on, uh, our next point, wow, that was all one point. So point one, stress due to simultaneity, why RTSs are dying. That's one of them. The second one is that there's a really, really high barrier to entry. And we kind of touched on this. Um, and Connor, especially with that Le- League of Legends example, you're talking about how you can kind of succeed in League of Legends if your macro is not incredible, at least at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but in an RTS, it's a lot more imperative that you know that. And additionally, so let's, I, I want to briefly touch on, I mean, this is, I'm a game designer and I like to speculate in this regard. There are systems that these developers put into place to make it so the barrier to entry is lower or there's a little bit more time for newer players to grasp the game, right? One design decision that I think is worth highlighting is base turrets. Uh, Excuse me. uh, Most RTSs have base turrets. uh, And you're like, what is a base turret? Whatever. All it means is around your starting base. So in an RTS, you start with nothing. You probably have like a main base and like a worker unit. So maybe you even have to build that worker unit. And then the whole point of the game is to scale up from there. Most RTSs also give you one or two base turrets, depending on the game, next to your home base. And the reason they do that is actually really important. It's to prevent your opponent from rushing you or killing you within the first five, 10 minutes of the game, right? So these base turrets late game are trivial. They literally don't matter, um, but they're meant as a deterrent to prevent players from steamrolling you super quickly. And I think that's a really interesting um, design decision, right? Because without those, and this, there are RTSs without base um, or turrets that you can choose not to build. Usually it's still in your best interest to get them up early, but let's say you don't, you can know, oh, I can literally just have a swarm of Zerg, for example, come storm my base and I'm dead. Like, there you go, a few minutes in. And that's, it it evens the playing field, I think a little bit. And so I just thought that was worth mentioning. Um, But yes, high barrier to entry. Um, And then next is that, well, like what we were saying, when we play RTSs, going into the multiplayer scene is also hard. I guess maybe you can say the barrier to that. Um, and this is, like they said, this can be the case with any game. Um, I remember when I first started playing League of Legends, I you know, was playing against AI. And then when I started playing against other people, it was you know kind of stressful. I feel so like I wasn't doing well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so every single game has that. But... Um, I feel like that's really something that comes up with an RTS because when you lose at an RTS, it feels bad. Um, Totally. Especially when you first start playing. And again, not to say that other games don't have feelings like this because they definitely do. But in an RTS, when you just lose, I remember feeling, what? How did I lose? (laughs) Like exactly what did I do wrong or what did my opponent do right? to beat me here. And it's usually nothing except you were too slow. Except for you were too slow. For an example, in League of Legends, let's say you lose to somebody, you know, you're just a character against another character and they kind of beat you. Well, you could say, okay, they just were better mechanically, you know, they just had, they were more accurate. They were, you know, they just knew more about their character. They knew about more about the matchup, whatever, whatever. But in an RTS, you're just like, well, wait, how did I lose? I mean, I had some units and his units just destroyed mine and ran me down. And then you just, that's it. And I think often 
it's usually even worse than that because the case is usually like, oh, I'm doing well this game. Like, I feel really good right now. And then your opponent shows up and it's just like, bam, no chance. Like, I'm donezo, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think the reason that is is because in an RTS, you usually have usually have no idea what your opponent's doing until you I was going to say the opponent. same thing. Yeah, it's so, that fog of war. It's that fog of war aspect. So you, so you have nothing really to base what you're doing off of. Let's say, you know, you're slowly building up your base, you're getting more resources, getting a little bit of units out, building more buildings. If you have nothing to base that off of, you can be like, oh, I'm doing pretty good for whatever your standards might be. Whereas your opponent could be, you know, miles ahead or miles ahead uh, of you or or behind you. You actually don't know. Um, And so that can be kind of hard to gauge. And I think that's why when you do lose, you're just like it. You have no idea why they just kind of said, oh, so they're ahead of me. Okay, now I lose. Okay, that <laughs> right. feels super bad. Totally. Um, and that's 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 not that's not a fun experience. Um, never to say that losing is fun, but if you're at least able to grasp maybe why or how you lost, obviously it's going to make it feel better. But if you just kind of lose and you don't really know why, then you're just going to feel super bad and be like, "Well, I suck." <laughs> it's just totally. it's just not going to be a good time. Right, and I think that's really important. It's the perception of knowing what you're doing wrong to lose Mm -hmm. and that's distinctly i I think at least it's missing from rts's uh and the main reason being is that sure there's some times where okay i just didn't know i could build xyz thing and that would have stopped them but usually it's oh they were just better at managing their resource economy and so they did more things got better stuff and attacked me even if i was doing really good for me right Mm -hmm. and i think it's that perception thing definitely it's the perception thing and it's also the interaction thing because yeah. in other games you're interacting with your opponents usually constantly yeah um constantly which means like you know what you're doing you know what they're doing but in an RTS it can kind of feel like you're just doing your own thing and they're just doing their own thing and whoever does that thing more efficiently wins the game totally Especially at those early levels of play when you're not going to be going out and scouting and going out and trying to gain information, um, harass your opponents or whatever. Um, Right. It's just you're both doing your own thing and then whoever does it better wins. Definitely. And so, again, it's similar to the, the idea of these towers, right, that the developers have deliberately put in place to make the game um, easier and lower the barrier to entry. There's another thing that game designers um, started doing to make RTSs feel better uh, for for newer players, and that's ad campaigns. Do you want to talk about campaigns, Connor? Yes, campaigns. I love campaigns. So campaigns is just like a single player experience. There's usually going to be a story. So maybe there's some characters um, and you're going to play through different missions that have different objectives. um, And there'll be maybe some upgrades that you get along the way, some like progression in and out of missions. Really fun stuff. Uh, and this is why I always liked RTSs. This has usually been my favorite part about RTSs because usually the story's good. Um, and there's it lowers the stress because the difficulty can be kind of managed and you don't have to be like absolutely on top of it to beat your opponent. Totally. I think campaigns are really genius because it allows the developers to teach new players the game mechanics without, like you said, having to run into opponents or anything like that. Like, that can be super problematic. Uh, you, I mean, with any game that is not easy to learn or is not super intuitive at first, very complex, 
it's really hard to just jump into the game. Mm-hmm. Like walk it off is not really something you can do in an RTS because you have so little time to learn because um, you're battling against an opponent, an invisible opponent who's taking more actions than you. Um, and I also think there's another thing about campaigns that while incredible, also contribute to the quote unquote death of the genre. And I think this is probably its own entire podcast episode, but the idea that we're moving more and more towards a multiplayer centric game industry. Would you agree? I would agree. And what I mean by that is more and more. So to give context, basically every single game before like 2012, I would say maybe 20, maybe even later than that had some sort of single player component. It was pretty much unheard of besides like league, which was one of the reasons that game was so scary, like scary to launch. Um, but they had this single player component that way, if nobody played the game, the game would still have value, right? So as a developer, if we're making an investment decision, Connor, imagine we're, we're going into making a game. I'm like, okay, what if we make this awesome game, but you need two people to play, or like we need 40 people to play in each lobby. And so we can have these really cool battles and it'll be super awesome. Like the mechanics are great. And then Connor, you look at me and you're just like, okay, but what if uh, no one plays the game? What if there's only one of those 40 people in the game? And that's really scary. And so before that time, most developers were too scared to do that, or at least they would do that and have a campaign. So even if little old Connor, 10 years down the line after this game's release, bought the game, you can still find value in it. Yeah. And so now we're seeing a change. And I think it's because of the success of games like Leak or other multiplayer-only games like Apex Legends or kind of uh, these burgeoning battle royales, right? They are they necessitate multiplayer. There's no way to play the game without players, and the developers are now okay with that. And so for RTSs, being so pivotal to the multiplayer experience is the campaign. If you buy an RTS to play with your friends, you don't want to play the campaign. You don't want to spend... Ten, and I'm totally... I'm just playing devil's advocate here. A lot of people, myself included, do want to play the campaign and prefer <laughs> that. But a lot of people, I would argue, don't want to play the campaign. They want to jump in with their friends, which is awesome. And because of that, they don't get to learn any of the mechanics. Like, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah. No, because I think... Yeah, it's just it's just an, it's an emerging difference in style that, you know, especially when you've got a lot of people. I mean, you can even attest this to kind of COVID when you're maybe just playing games with your friends. You don't want to be doing stuff by yourself. You kind of want that social interaction. You want to be playing games with your friends. And so you're not just going to be sitting there to play by yourself when instead you'd just be playing with, you know, other people, playing with your buddies. Um, and so that means it goes for any game. So when an RTS comes out, you can, you know, play with your play with your friends rather than just playing by yourself. And then you just don't learn the game because that there is a hard barrier to entry. Um because I do think with an RTS, you can't just go through like a 30-minute tutorial and then you're like, okay, I got it. Like, let's go. Right. Um, tutorials like obviously, you have the general mechanics of it. Definitely. Um, I was just going to say, tutorials for RTSs are really dry. That's why they put them into campaigns, because you usually have to learn so much. It takes four or five campaign levels to learn the whole game. To you learn know what I mean? Game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I guess maybe with your friends, at least maybe you're getting your your ass kicked together. But <laughs> <laughs> it can still feel bad. Um, and it's hard to kind of include that tutorial aspect so that's our that's our argument for the hyper competitive multiplayer experience versus campaigns and that bullet point of why rts's are dying so um yeah that's pretty much it okay so now we move to we have two more points 
Uh, oh, actually, we already talked about one of these. Great. So one of them is less intuitive to understand why someone is doing better than you, which we talked about. It's really hard to know whether or not you're doing well in relation to your opponent because unless you're deliberately scouting, you can't. the game doesn't give you that information, right? Yeah, and I think the two main reasons for this is both, yeah, like knowledge. It's so you don't know what your opponent's doing. Um, and that's also not something that's super, like, Push. It's not really push well, right, to new players. It's like an important thing that you need to do is you need to go see what your opponent's doing. Totally. Um, I don't think that's something that's, yeah, that's said very well. And the second is interaction. Um, this kind of goes in tandem with knowing what your opponent's doing. You're not really interacting with your opponent frequently, or when you do start interacting with your opponent, it's almost already decided, um, at least if in those kind of early stages of the game or you know, if you're not super, super good, when you do see that interaction with your opponent, it could just be too late. Yeah. And so those two reasons, I think, yeah, make it very hard for you to understand why the hell did I just lose? Definitely. So our last point is, maybe this is a cop-out, but I don't think it is. I think it's valid. So going in and out of style. So fads, the idea of, oh, maybe RTSs just like aren't the latest hip thing. Um, and to give some examples, Hero Shooters in 2016 with Overwatch, Battleborn, Paladins, that was the fad then, right? And we saw a bunch of Hero Shooter clones come out. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, Battle Royales are the huge thing. Um, or probably not like two, probably 2018, 2019, 2020, Battle Royales were huge. We're seeing like Among Us S games come out mm -hmm. now, like social deduction video games. So, Connor, I mean, what do you think? Do you think RTSs will just come back in style? I mean, yeah, right? I mean, this is, can be said for anything, not even just about games. Things go in and out of style, things change, people want things new, and things can also come back. Um, but there are, all also, there are also some games or some styles that are just, they're too good to pass up. Uh, for example, League of Legends came out in what, 2010? 2009, I think. 2009, and it was, it's been doing well for a really long time. It's been, you know, one of the number one games for a really long time, and it still is. Um, World of Warcraft 2006, I World think. of Warcraft, also. Another great example. That game's been out forever, and it's still super, super, super popular, still coming out with content for it totally. and whatever. So I think that although things just go out of style, things can come back into style, I think that I really don't think RTSs are really going to take over the spotlight once again. Yeah, and we'll get to this in our our Connor question for this this podcast. <laughs> oh, episode. true, true. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, so yeah, but but I I agree. I I think we'll see. There's some more. There's some more work RTSs need to do, which brings us to our next point: uh, genre adjacent games. And so genre adjacent games we're qualifying in two senses. They're either games that are like other strategy games, which are more popular than RTSs. Or they're like a new take on an RTS that's like pretty much a real-time strategy with some modifications to almost universally make it easier to play, lower the barrier to entry. Uh, do you want to jump into the first one, Civilization? Yeah, so the first type of game I want to talk about are 4X games, uh, and it's called 4X because there's 4Xs. It's Explore, Expand, Exploit, and Exterminate. Um I'd say probably the most popular, best example of this is the Civilization series, so the most recent iteration of the game is Civilization VI. Um, Civilization V was really, really popular. And these games are going to be turn-based, which means it's not real-time, which means that... Important distinction. A very, very important distinction where you're going to do things and then you have time to do those things and you can consider what you're doing. And 
even if your opponent is done, they can't keep going. They have to wait for you to pass the turn before they can start, you know, progressing and advancing themselves. Um, and so that's, I think, a big distinction. But you do do similar things. So I'll just talk about civilization for this. Um, you do have you have cities. Um, it is usually more on a, a larger scale because, like I said, you have cities and you've got like these groups of soldiers and you have to advance technologies, um, build certain buildings that are going to help you get more resources. Uh, so there's definitely don't get me wrong, they're not the same thing. They are very different, but they do have a lot of aspects that make them seem similar. They're just both very strategic and they're both very like you're building bases and you're trying to expand and, you know, make a better base, be more efficient than your opponent. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that it's a lot slower. And so these games, civilization games take a lot longer. Oh, yeah. Than an like, RTS game. Infinitesimally longer. Oh, like, yeah. If an RTS, a long RTS, let's say like a big game of Company of Heroes takes two hours to play. Sure. And that's long. How long do you think a big game of Civ takes to play? Oh my god! Well, weeks. <laughs> I could be because we. I love Civ, and I've sat down to play it with my friends. I don't know how many times have we finished a game. Um, I've only finished between Civ five and Civ Civ four, Civ five, and Civ six. I have finished one game of Civilization five, ever. Nothing. I've never oh yeah. finished another game of Civ. Oh yeah. Um, and so I'd say that. Uh, I don't even know how to put it. Like I don't even think ten hours is. I think it could go longer than that. Whoa, way, way more than, than 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think if you were to sit down at the beginning of the day. multiplayer games, obviously. Yeah, multiplayer games, if you were to sit down at the beginning of the day and play all day, there's a chance you don't get through it. Yep. Um, obviously, there's there's ways to make it faster, um, and it's still a good time. Uh, but I think it takes a lot of that stress out, which makes sense, all right? If that real time, putting it into turns is extending the length of that game, which gives you more time to think. Um Makes it easier. Yeah, and kind of removes that mechanical aspect of you have to be doing everything well and strategically, but also as fast as you can. And this one is just like, okay, you just have to do things well and strategically and think through it. You don't have to also be doing it, you know, trying to do those things as quickly as possible. Um, And so that's why I think that these types of games are a lot more user-friendly, I guess, or that barrier to entry is a lot lower because it's not nearly as stressful as the RTS genre. I agree. I agree. So when we talked about 4X games, the next one, which I mentioned earlier, are Grand Strategies. So Grand Strategies are pretty much any game developed by Paradox Interactive. So Europa Universalis, Stellaris, uh, what else do I have written down here? Uh, Crusader Kings. Um, Also, I would argue some hybrids that are almost grand strategies, almost RTSs, like Total War, if you're playing the campaign. Regular Total War isn't, but if you're playing the campaign, kind of. And so these games are characterized, as I talked about earlier, by massive scale. We're talking about, like, worldwide scale. Usually you're controlling a country or a fief or some sort of, depending on which one you're playing, what the time period is. Say you're, like, Prussia or... Maybe you're the Axis. It doesn't really matter. But the scale is way larger. You're, you're tracking, like, family lineages in Crusader Kings. Oh, I died. I got to make sure I have an heir for, like, mm-hmm, crazy mm-hmm. stuff. However, the difference is you don't have to manage battles at all in the sense of 
your troops are like say you have an army of like twenty thousand guys it's like one guy on the screen yeah who yeah. will like march to that enemy and when they're battling there's usually some sort of stat tracker like your army's you're winning well. yeah, yeah you're losing guys whatever but like there's, there's no actual battle there. There's no the micro aspect is kind of taken out at least for those battles for sure. Right, it's just way more macro management, right? Like mm-hmm. infinitesimally more macro management in, yeah. in comparison to an RTS. And Total War, what they do is you can play every single battle. You don't have to. Like basically, the actual gameplay of most Total War games are the battles. If you're thinking about, I think a good example is Total War Empire, which is like British revolutionary era riflemen and so it's like you know line infantry you're positioning and stuff so there's no bases or anything you just have units that you're sending um but when you're playing the campaign which is kind of where it's more akin to a grand strategy you don't even have to play out the battles you can similarly do a stat like oh i'm winning i'm losing i won the battle i lost the battle like auto battle essentially so those are that's another genre adjacent thing and i think grand strategies are even harder to learn than real-time strategies um but i think it's important to bring them up because how you learn a grand strategy is not through a campaign or anything it is through an immense amount of documentation there's usually encyclopedias built into the game that you read to learn all of these core mechanics so when we're looking at rts's these guys are good to bring up because they're actually more accommodating and more in my opinion at least more accommodating and more accessible to a bigger player base which will factor into our prediction in a second when we talk about the future um another differentiation that we want to talk about is turn-based strategies some people kind of get this mixed up um like xcom where you're um focusing on you've got units and you have to move them around on a given turn and then your opponents move their units around um and this is kind of akin to total war where it's just in these types of games you're just focusing on the battles or kind of like your units fighting other units, the base building and the kind of technology advancements, um, at least within the game, within any given like round or whatever, is is removed. And I think it's also important, like usually turn-based uh, shooters or whatever, like XCOM, uh, turn-based tactical games, right? This is like a squad. It's usually like nowhere, no more than like eight guys you're controlling. Yeah. And not eight squads, like literally eight people. Yeah, eight individuals. <laughs> so people. it's it's the scale is the other end of Forex games and grand strategies. Now we're zoomed in on like one guy. Yeah. And so basically these different genres that are you could kind of say that the RTS is like the bridge between the two, right? So you're you've got games where you're just focusing on this the strategic aspects of a battle of a given, you know, scenario. Um and these grand strategies is like, okay, the macro, the big picture of a of a battle or a war and an rts is kind of like let's try and do both those things and i do think rts's do it very well and it's really fun but i that's i guess that's where i'd put that on that spectrum definitely so our last section is modern takes and uh, we have two games here with the third one that will factor into our next topic so uh halo wars and north guard and i just pretty much arbitrarily chose both of these halo wars i brought up because it is very simple Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of RTSs, it was designed with console in mind, so you can only have your uh, radial menus, right, because of your joysticks and stuff. When you're on a keyboard, specifically PC gaming, you have a lot more buttons to press. Like, that's just the nature of a a keyboard versus um, uh, a controller. And so Halo Wars is an RTS distilled down into, like, 
far less complexity. So we're talking about you can build a base, you can build units, you can probably upgrade those units, but it's not really more complex than that. You can you can't drag select. I you, some controller games like console games let you drag select but usually you can't and what i mean is like whenever you're on your desktop on a computer and you drag like that box in rts games a lot of the time that's really nice because you can just select a big group of units right click start sending them going you can't really do that on console it's more Mm -hmm. like let me double click this guy to select all units of the same type whatever and so halo wars is on here just to give an example of more simplistic take on an rts um so keep that in mind when we talk about our future predictions you want to talk about Northgard, Connor? Uh, yeah, Northgard is a cool game. It is more heavily kind of on the resource management aspect of an RTS um, and that you have to manage your resources well, otherwise you'll die. Or Very punishing economy. Very punishing, right? In, in games like StarCraft or uh, Age of Empires, if you don't gather enough resources, like you're just behind, but it's not necessarily you're putting yourself like negative right like you're not you're just you're just kind of standing still um but in Northgard, if let's say you don't generate enough food then your people could start dying um and you know you're not going to be able to do anything and then you're going to be pushed farther behind than you were um and so that's a fun aspect of the game um and it kind of makes it and it kind of makes the whole i'm playing this game by myself because i don't know what my opponent's doing feel a little bit more challenging and not like, oh, I'm just doing super well because I have nothing to base myself off of. I feel like I'm doing super well. Right. Um, and so that one, I think, makes Northgard really fun. But obviously, it still has the military part, and you're against the opponent, and you have to try and take out their base at some point. Um, but I do think that that game does that does that well in making you feel a little bit better uh, without having information of your opponents. I also think it's important to note, it. I also think it's more of a simplistic take on an RTS, but not in a bad way. Yeah. Um, not uh, in StarCraft, for example, it's just such a great StarCraft 2. Uh, there's like almost every single unit in that game, when you click on like an individual unit or a group of the same type of units, they have their own specific abilities, right? Like each unit, which when you get into a battle, sometimes you want to use like leverage these abilities to get gain the upper hand, right? And in Northguard, there are like Usually you have like a war chief, which is like a one or two of character. Mm-hmm. Those sometimes have specific abilities, but besides that, it's mostly uh, it's a little bit more abstracted away. Like you can, it's just unit positioning. They'll fight for you, like whatever. You don't have to worry about oh, I gotta click this guy and use this ability to do this. There are those characters, but it's not every single character. And another thing to say is that when it comes to like your military in Northgard, there's what three, four units that you get. Like four types oh, of four units types. You can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in StarCraft, it's like, what, 15 at least? Yeah, insane. Um, so that's another big difference. Yep. Uh, I also think it's important to note that in uh, I, almost every single real-time strategy is a population cap. All that means it's the number of units you can get. In Northguard, they actively dissuade you from having a strong military all the time because your civilians are your military you just take them off food production and put them onto military, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an important developer decision that they don't necessarily want your you don't you're not supposed to have an army for the entire game, which slows the game down assuredly and makes it a little bit more palatable in that regard. Yeah. Okay, we've done it. We so we we've, we've made it through pretty much everything. And so we are on our final topic, which is our thoughts on the future of the RTS genre. 
so to preface this, taking there is a game coming out that we've heard, Age of Empires 4, and this was teased years ago. I'm not entirely sure the state of it, but we know there will be a pretty big ticket RTS coming out sometime soon. So there isn't no hope, but just to give you a little bit of context. So we have our Connor question. What is the future of the RTS genre? What do you think, Connor? <sighs> okay. It's a big question. It's a big question. And I think... I obviously think that there's it's never going to be like there's never any RTSs coming out. Um, I don't think it's going to be all the time. Like maybe if you want, for example, like Battle Royales where there's just a ton of different types coming out. I think there's always going to be people who make RTSs. Some of them are going to be kind of fun. Um, I don't think, at least in the near future, RTSs are going to make a huge comeback. Um, I just think that the way the games industry has been shifting and how styles have been shifting, this type of play style is not what everyone wants to be doing. Um, with that being said, though, I think RTS games are still going to come out. And I think for them to be successful, they're going to have to do things differently than games in the past. I think this is especially prevalent with if you were just to make a game that was very similar to StarCraft II in terms of mechanics and how it works, but obviously you have your different take on it, um, I just don't think it's going to do well. Because first off, I think StarCraft II just, like, just hits the nail on the head with the RTS genre, or at least that traditional take on an RTS, and that I don't know how much better you could do. You have to innovate in some way. Yes. So for RTSs to... Um, be successful you're gonna to have to innovate in some way so for example maybe it's simplified like halo wars or with Northguard. um you know you're adding more of that survival aspect to the game um because i think those games are, are been successful and are really fun to play so i just think that rts are going to expand what the genre means in the future um if they want to be successful yeah i completely agree i think we need to see a fundamental change in design philosophy uh, going forward and I don't know when we'll see that or if we'll see that soon but what I think the design change needs to be and we touched on this earlier is some sort of cooperative component or mm -hmm. there needs to be more multiplayer interaction uh, or team interaction even in a less contentious sense right uh if I don't, I'm not saying, oh, we need a 16 v 16 RTS. So it's like big battles. I don't, we don't need more like opponent centric innovation. We need more reason for you not to go attack your opponent immediately and win. Like there needs to be less of, I don't think attacking should be the dominant strategy in RTSs anymore. Mm -hmm. So Northguard, for example, is a few win conditions, but I really think attacking, and this is usually seen in multiplayer games, is the way to win that game. Uh, but you can also win by trade or diplomacy, something taken kind of from Civ, where there's like a world uh, basically akin to the UN, uh, and you can sometimes win by doing that or something of the sort, right? I think we need to see more alternate win conditions in RTSs, and I think we need to make combat less viable. It still needs to be a thing, right? I'm not saying, oh, let's re refactor the genre because then it's not an RTS. But by making the game more cooperative and more interactive with all of the different players, like in a free-for-all even, I think we're going to see more wide appeal when we're talking about how the industry is moving towards a more multiplayer model. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point.
Sweet. So that is all we have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Uh, We will be back hopefully next week for episode four. Have a good one.